for all Rose can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us one of America's premier leftist feminist comedy <laughs> podcasts. Certainly. Some would say. Yes. <laughs> Many people are saying. <laughs> I'm Julia Claire. I'm Kate Willett. Uh, Kate, how are you? How's your week? Oh, I had a lit week. Uh, lit be, week. Yeah, to be honest with you, I got to see the Jenny Lewis concert on, oh, yeah. uh, on Thursday night. That was amazing. Um, yeah, it was... It was a very fun concert. It was very good. Um, and also, uh, as Samantha Ruddy pointed out, there were a lot of people that looked like me there. She was tweeting. She was like, I'm walking around this Jenny Lewis concert looking for Kate Willett, who is a bisexual white woman with bangs from California. And would you believe that a lot of people here look like her? So that was... Yeah, it was weird. I I just I definitely felt like I was among my demographic. But it was so good. It was like uh, she played a lot of the hits and a lot of the stuff from her new album she did a really good cover of bob dylan's song standing in the doorway Ooh, and, yeah and i've been song. yeah i've been obsessed with that song all week i've been listening to bob dylan's version and jenny lewis's cover but and also bonnie Raitt did an amazing cover oh, of fucking it fucking love bonnie Raitt. you know i'm uh famously a, a casey musgraves stan but i think that that's like that's very basic for for country most of the the people who i like in country are like yeah, it's just her and Dolly Parton and uh, the Dixie Chicks, uh, liberal feminist heroes, the Dixie Chicks, <laughs> who we have abandoned. Are we you know, sure they're not leftist feminist he- heroes? We don't know. We don't know. Natalie Maines, get on the podcast. Yeah, come on, <laughs> Natalie, come on, Reply Guys. Ellen, you are not welcome on Reply Guys. Yeah. <laughs> unless it's to retract your friendship with george w bush i still think about that story every day i know i i think about it because it's like how many friendships have i ruined with men just because i thought of a good <laughs> subtweet uh and none of them have even done war crimes it was more just like they said something that i thought was a little sexist you know <laughs> oh can we talk about joe biden for a second okay the man is out of money he's uh, begging and pleading Which- um for his yeah his campaign is running very low on funds and he, they sent out an email this week that was like why are bernie and warren doing so much better uh at fundraising than us i mean it's like <laughs> you know hmm, i wonder well that was that's part of the thing part of the rules um the rules change that has been instituted um for each uh, for the primaries and each debate qualification is that you have to have a base level of individual donors because they want to allegedly they want to prevent just someone who's like super corporate backed but i don't like then how do you explain like a tom steyer i don't know who's like basically just self-funded yeah i mean i think in biden's case he's gonna i mean there's no situation in which he wouldn't qualify for the debate because it's also based on polling yeah 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 but tom steyer man that was i mean that's <sighs> such a weird such a weird He's thing. such a weird guy's buying so many tv ads it's crazy this is why we need a robust wealth tax is because we need billionaires who are bored to stop running for president yes fucking tom steyer howard schultz um mike bloomberg get out of my life well there's been there's been a lot of stuff going on this week oh i did see <laughs> this is this is not news 
but I had like a very lovely day yesterday and I went to see the original Mary Poppins at Metrograph. I saw, I saw that you went to see that and you were tweeting about how it was. It's about class war. I haven't watched it in a while, but will you give us your Marxist analysis of Mary Poppins? Well, it's obviously Jane and Michael Banks and their father is um, Mr. Banks and he works at a bank. Oh, damn. And um yeah, all the men who work at the bank are evil. Um yeah, and they like try to take Michael's young Michael's two pence away from him. Um when he just wants to feed the birds, which is the bird he wants to like give it to the the bird lady who's clearly like a homeless person. There's a lot of class stuff in there. I mean, it is a children's movie and I need to I'm very I I'm, I'm very ill. I need to stop trying to ruin every movie with marxist class analysis oh you know what i ruined be like bert is a member of the proletariat you know what i ruined with marxist class analysis i've been thinking a lot about that game mash that we played when we were little girls yeah they're just like setting you up to believe that there's a 25 percent chance that you could live in a mansion oh my god there's not kiddos yeah wait what is it it's mansion apartment shack house and then you you and you don't see, want see. the shack. Yeah, I would die for a shack. As someone who lives in a very small apartment, give me a shack. Yeah, no. At this point, I'm like, if I could like find, if I could find the shack and not live if with I can, the if, worst guy. And if I can, I I live with two roommates. I love my roommates, but if I could live by myself in a shack, give me the shack. <laughs> we do have a reply guy of the week. We sure do. Yeah, uh, and that is. None other than uh, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> More like Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. No, I just, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm just joking. I would never make that joke I just made. Um, yeah, but so Mark Zuckerberg uh, testified before Congress. Um, very, very good exchange. Um, AOC questioned him, and she was just uh, really killer. She really went in on him. Um, we should we should probably play a little clip. Yes, let's um, play the clip. One more question. In your ongoing dinner parties with far-right figures, some of who advanced the conspiracy theory that white supremacy is a hoax, did you discuss so-called social media bias against conservatives, and do you believe there is a bias? Uh, Congresswoman... Um, so I don't remember everything that was in the, send- in, in the question. That's all right. I'll move on. Can you explain why you've named The Daily Caller, a publication white, uh, well-documented with ties to white supremacists as an official fact-checker for Facebook? Congresswoman, sure. We actually don't appoint the independent fact-checkers. They go through an independent organization called the Independent Fact-Checking Network that has a rigorous standard for who they allow to, uh, to serve as a fact-checker. So... You would say that white supremacist tied uh, publications meet a rigorous standard for fact-checking? Thank you. Uh, Congresswoman, I would say that we're not the one assessing that that standard. The International Fact-Checking Network is the one who is setting that standard. Wow. Mark Zuckerberg. This fucking guy. Uh, He is so sweaty and his haircut is so bad for someone who is that rich that's that's always what bothered me about elizabeth holmes uh even when she was like the youngest self-made female billionaire or whatever i was just like babe get 
a hairstylist. There's so much else that's wrong with him besides his hair, but I do want to say that his looks are bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the intercepts did a really great piece on this testimony. And they were talking about how like Mark Zuckerberg's, um, claim that he's just meeting with these far right figures in the name of uh, ideological diversity or whatever. Like it's not true because he hasn't, yeah. they surveyed like pretty much the great majority of very prominent leftists, like everybody from uh, Amy Goodman and democracy now to the Chapo trap house boys. And uh, nobody has met with Mark Zuckerberg. Um, if you're not meeting with the guys from Chapo, if, you yeah, if you're not meeting with Chapo trap house, are you even <laughs> have you even given how much I- ideological diversity do you have yeah um he has not met with the joker <laughs> <laughs> you need to meet with people who are irony poisoned or else you don't have ideological diversity yeah um, but um but no i mean but even people who are not um irony poisoned um this is what really he, frustrates you know, he's me not, he's not meeting with uh noam chomsky or anything <laughs> or, yeah this is what really frustrates me is that silicon valley writ large but like mark zuckerberg particularly is posited culturally to us as this like liberal person um just because silicon valley is you know because it's so new and it's so forward thinking um and they do care about things like quote-unquote diversity um and tolerance uh but here's the thing is that when mark zuckerberg meets with hard right um thinkers to put it generously there is a lot of ideological overlap there like i don't think that anyone should be confused about that because a big part of that ideology is like small government no regulation lack of interference um just like find to have monopolies and that's all stuff that he wants yeah, whenever I hear him talk, it just reminds me so much of the mentality of the Bay Area where I lived for a long time, where it's just this, like, kind of, you know, quote, uh, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, kind of, like, libertarian thing, which is, like, I mean, I don't even believe that you can be socially liberal and fiscally conservative. I mean, but, yeah, San Francisco is really touted as this progressive city, um, has one of the biggest homeless problems in the country, um, and the powerful people in San Francisco are constantly fighting uh, any thing that would help homeless people that honestly uh, that's why i am so continually enraged by the candidacy of andrew yang because that is who i see when i see um him speak is just like someone who's trying to bring like silicon valley solutions quote unquote to uh the federal level and it's like all those people he's just one of those like silicon valley tech bros who's just like the way that we solve the homelessness crisis is micro apartments for millionaires. Like, yeah. no, it's we actually did, not. Yeah. In other news, uh, the UAW strike ended this week. They settled after 40 days. This is the longest GM strike, I think, in 50 years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that's pretty amazing. Um, there was um, someone died um on the picket line uh, which was really 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 sad a 55 year old union member named roy mccombs lost his life um he was hit by a car and killed outside the general motors plant in spring hill Mm. um so that is just really really terrible um 
Yeah, oh, it's a big. Uh, as we we talked about on our Labor Day episode, these uh, these union strikes have become more and more frequent, which is good. Um, obviously, the conditions that brought them to strike are not good, but public support for unions is at a like a sixty year high, which we talked about. Um, another big strike going on right now. Currently, uh, we're recording this on on Sunday. Um, the 27th and uh, it's, it's the Chicago teachers uh, union strike and they have been on strike for, I think almost 11 days now. And it is similar in some ways to the, the strikes that we outlined on our Labor Day episode, uh, the teacher strikes in uh, West Virginia in Arizona, but in a lot of ways it's different. It's not just about, um, about raises, about uh, wages, although that is certainly part of it. A big part of this is affordable housing. And they also want smaller class sizes. They're very uh, kind of overworked and stretched really thin. Um, And more people, more Chicagoans support the strike than don't. It's, it's, very popular right now there's a lot of solidarity chance the rapper was on he hosted snl last night uh wearing a chicago teachers union shirt during his monologue which is pretty cool basically they've been negotiating back and forth with the city and they had a 12 plus hour negotiation last night and they're still not done wow Um, so solidarity to the chicago teachers we love teachers um truly fuck scabs (laughs) just um but do you you have any recommendations this week other than fucking scabs (laughs) yeah don't fuck don't fuck don't have sex with scabs yeah (laughs) don't sex strike the scabs (laughs) sex strike for scabs only um so uh chasen you can't fuck mayor pete yeah um yeah i do have a recommendation i um this is like very sincere i'm a huge anthony bourdain fan i have been for since i was 14 and i read his book kitchen confidential when i was like 14 or 15 was just obsessed with it and i hadn't revisited it and i listened to it uh i listened to the audiobook which he narrates and it was so good i listened to it in like two days and i just miss him a lot he was the coolest man uh and so smart and funny and yeah that's just my very sincere recommendation is that i loved uh i loved kitchen confidential and i would listen to him like read the newspaper he's the coolest um yeah i have a recommendation for a clip that you should check out online (laughs) um our friend uh kelly bachman fellow comedian um was at a comedy show in new york and it was kind of a private event for actors someone invited i think the producers invited harvey weinstein yeah i think uh, it was the the venue you may know from uh his long career as a producer or Uh, sexually assaulting 90 people or so um (laughs) yeah maybe more um but uh kelly bachman told him off um in her set and the clip went extremely viral um she has gone on a a lot of different news networks and it's just like really getting the message out there about um i don't know i think just the experience of being a survivor and also i think has brought a lot of attention to the ways that like um we just 
kind of continue to be complicit in social situations when these men are you know, have done really heinous things and you know in some ways it's like with Harvey Weinstein I think I think with Harvey Weinstein he's like one of the few people that like conservatives and uh liberals and leftists like like everybody's like fuck this guy epstein same thing you know like, i mean yeah the two of them i think are like unambiguously like the line on yeah. like the worst that it can get yeah so in it would- public me- in recent public memory and i think particularly this clip is so damning because kelly gets booed yeah um she like addresses it which nobody else had until that point um and it's a very small room and she gets booed and somebody with harvey weinstein tells her to shut up and it's just like it's just like first of all i didn't even know i mean this is how how out of the loop i was about that i thought that he was like being held or something i didn't know that he was just fucking out and about Yep. But apparently that was not the first show that he's been seen at. So uh, if you see Harvey Weinstein in New York, feel free to yell at him. We tell him we sent you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we stand Kelly. Um, great job. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to say, which is that, you know, we have received some listener feedback and I think it was fair. Um, so it was kind of talking about, uh, our discussion of electability a few episodes back. Oh, with Katie. With Katie Hopper. With Katie Hopper. And we were talking about um, Warren being potentially less electable than Bernie. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, that's, that is like, uh, I think electability, I think as we've discussed on the show, is often very sexist um Mm -hmm. in as a framing you know i mean i think that like pretty much whenever there's a woman running for office people describe her as less electable for some reason you know oftentimes not overtly her gender but you know but covertly (laughs) yeah uh, a lot of things related to it i i think what we were reacting to in that episode was the kind of framing that Bernie is absolutely not electable because he is a socialist. Um, and you know, there's no way that people would be willing to go that far left. And there's kind of been a very consistent media narrative dismissing Bernie's candidacy altogether. So I I think that we were talking in that context, but, um, as one of our listeners pointed out, we should not have let that go a discussion of electability kind of go without caging that in some way. I I get it. I think, I think that's fair. Um, and you know, we're always, Kate and I are always, always open to feedback. We are, we love, we We love love a socially conscious reply guy. We Uh, love it. Yeah. Um, but we have a very good episode for you this week. We are talking to some of our friends, um, Jake Flores, Luisa Diaz, and Alex Patak. And I think we had a really good discussion about irony, poisoning, identity politics, AOC. It was being a reply guy. Yeah, being a reply guy. We have one our first our first ever like full-time reply guy pretty yeah. much on the podcast yeah. uh jake jake flores we had to do it at some point um all right so uh please enjoy this interview um and thank, thank you, you for listening. listening yeah all right uh welcome back to reply guys 
Here we are, Julia. We're here. Yeah, we're in my house. We're eating soup. It's it's nearly winter. Kate made soup and she got cake. I, I'm I'm blessed. What can I say? We should introduce our guests. We we have uh, <laughs> three today. Kate, do you wanna do you wanna give them the official intro? Yeah. So um, today we have a couple of our friends from Pod Damn America and our friend Luisa Diaz, um, who is from the other pod why are you mad that is no. also I, I don't know there's, there's why, why are you mad right why, why are you mad why are you mad, why are you is, mad? Is, is. hello everybody hi how are you it's why are you mad uh, it is a spin-off of pod damn america so you guys might have heard me on either nice to have uh, me thanks for having me <laughs> we're all talking so good today do we do we um uh, introduce uh, no. Alex Patak and, Do you want me to introduce Flores? Hello. <laughs> oh, okay. So also here is co-guests with me. Louisa's <laughs> doing. <laughs> yeah, we just we just agreed. Okay. Um, we have Alex Patak and Jake Flores of Pod Damn America. You know them. Louisa, thank you for having me on. Why are you mad? <laughs> Thanks for coming. What I see in many ways is the Silmarillion to our Lord of the Rings. This is so. This is like a a three podcast situation That's here true. right now. Basically, I'll say it. Too many. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off with why you mad. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, sure. Um, like I said, it's kind of it's definitely a spinoff of PDA. Basically, I used to go on PDA to talk with the boys whenever they wanted to bring comedy into their political discussion. And um, then we decided that Jake and I had so much nerdy comedy shit to talk about mm-hmm. that we did a separate one weekly. Um, we just basically talk about comedy and um the political issues that come from comedy or that affect comedy. I don't know. What do you think, Jake? If you don't like the podcast, it's Steve Hernandez's fault. (laughs) (laughs) He tweeted at us and referred to himself as podcast Cupid or something like that. Yeah. And uh, made our show happen. We might quit um, at any moment, but it is for a very specific sub niche audience of the leftist leftist podcast audience. Uh, Hyper online. Yeah. People. Hyper online comedy nerds. Yeah. Yeah. And and let's for for those of us who who are unfamiliar with Pod Damn America, let's talk about that as well. Sure, um, we're a variety current events show, and then sometimes <laughs> we just talk about how Jake found a clown car in his house. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a very broad based show. Um, a la, I mean, it is in name a a a knock on crooked media Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. when i started it i kind of thought never heard of it yeah (laughs) (laughs) i feel like podcasts sometimes if they're too formulaic run out of stuff and uh i got lucky and got on went a little viral because the government came to my house so i I got to do the soundcloud uh, link thing and then do you consider yourself lucky for that now uh yeah (laughs) it's been like a year it's uh, made us a lot of money that's true and a credit uh, is a credit (laughs) can you can you tell us the story of how and why the government came to your house yeah so (laughs) last year on cinco de mayo i tweeted a joke about how um we should let white people do cultural appropriation if they destroy ice by killing them with guns and uh that last part was where it got a little yeah it was a good and um then homeland security came to my house and i had a conversation with them and it was really weird and i uh then was able to sort of tell the story on a number of other podcasts and tv shows and radio outlets and stuff like that and 
you know, it was a thing of the moment because all the all this stuff involving ice is very real and very scary, but also I'm a reckless comedian and I don't have, you know, kids or a dog or anything to worry about. And so I was able to be kind of a, a dummy during the situation. And so then, you know, this, this, I made the front page of Reddit and yada, yada, yada. And I went, Hey, um, you know, if, if anyone wants to, uh, fucking listen to more of my stuff. Here's this podcast, right? Basically, I got a big bump out of Majority Report and Chapo Trap House, basically. And then we were able to sort of start the show with some gas in it because people were, I guess, so into the story that they would go, okay, I'll listen to this guy's stuff. So then it was, yeah, the me and Anders. My and name is Alex. Alex and Raghav <laughs> had all been sort of, you know, working on a podcast in our free time that was very broad based and just leftist and just, you know, we wanted to make a thing. We've been sort of uh, writing it ever since. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it is like, it's a million different things, you know? I personally think that all male leftist podcasts are uh, essential to the discourse. So I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. Thank uh, you. <laughs> There's not enough boys in the mix. We're doing it for the ladies. That's what I told the government. And they were like, hey, thank you for your service. I know you're joking, but I do genuinely feel like that um, about why you mad as in terms of like comedy you know like the rhetoric within comedy has been more loudly i think conservative yeah recently than it has been leftist and it's like one of the only reasons that i'm into doing it because yeah, yeah. i'm like there has to be more people within comedy talking about uh politics that go contrary to the establishment of comedy contrary yeah. to the club owners contrary to the headliners who already benefit from keeping things as they are so i i I think all the leftist podcasts matter. Yeah, <laughs> all leftist podcasts matter. If we've uh, if we've learned anything from Julie and I, I, I think formed our entire friendship being mad about all male leftist podcasts. That was, we we <laughs> actually were that was Julian, one of the one of the first names that we tossed out was calling this all male leftist podcast. Yes. <laughs> Julia and I became friends, friends on yeah. Facebook, fighting you on a Facebook mm-hmm. thread. Sure. That's <laughs> true. Well, what was about that? Uh, I, actually, I, I don't remember it super well now. No, it was on Raghav's wall. And, okay. Um, it, he was saying that... Just a uh, beautiful battleground of ideas. Yeah. He was saying that... It was on um, Bonnie Vare's wall. He was saying that Bernie bros were... Uh, real, I think. He said that there were some Bernie bros. And then Jake said that... I think you said that there were not Bernie bros. And then Julia and I said that there were and then we <laughs> and then we fought you and became friends with each other this is known as the discourse yeah exactly um, you know very uh you know uh, it, it was a but a, now, great, a great origin story for for whatever nightmare that we're living in right now um yeah. So you guys uh, named your pod Pod Damn America to make fun of crooked media and I have never asked you about like why you did that i mean i have some ideas but it would be like interesting like what is your beef with crooked media also i, I will say that pod damn america makes a lot more sense than pod save america oh yeah no, I this agree. is true their idea their name makes no, no sense. sense their name yeah. is not a thing i mean it and has they're not so saved famous america. and it's just the worst name you could have picked <laughs> they should have picked literally any other name um, you know, Jake picked the name, so I feel like he should say, but I will guess that the boiled down version is that their ideas are bad and they're bad. <laughs> Raghav and I used to talk about, uh, about how much we hate Dan Pfeiffer all the time. Uh, yeah. So 
uh, they are bad and their ideas are bad. <laughs> the other part of this name is that it is a, a you know a joke on uh, Goddamn America, the speech by Reverend Wright, who, if you are listening and you don't know who that is because you're 16 or something, this has happened. People mm-hmm. emailed me before. I went, what is Goddamn America? Um, when Obama was running for president the first time, they tried to dig up this like uh, this hardcore, like you know, passionate left uh, pastor that he had had at one point who gave this controversial speech. Jeremiah Wright called the goddamn America. It's the theme song to our show. And it's, Mm -hmm. I think, an interesting thing because at the time it was scandalous. And then now the Overton window has shifted so far and radical politics are so common that it's just cool now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really make you clutch your pearls or at least me um not that it did back then but i think it's jake actually sold his pearls since we started the show i when i became a socialist <laughs> i sold my pearls out of uh, it's beautiful but uh pod save america um they bother me in a really specific way which is that they are somewhat more dangerous than just outright fascists and republicans and things like that because they represent a form of liberal politics that's sort of placate and uh you know represent themselves as uh you know like similar or a good substitute or a fine placeholder for like leftist with a capital l politics and that's sort of how you know every left movement in america gets derailed and turned into you know what we know as a neoliberal thing or whatever um, an example of that off the top of my head is that like they've been very insidiously pushing for like the Medicare for all with an asterisk thing ever since they've become aware that Medicare for all is a thing that they can no longer just say isn't um, popular or isn't possible. Once it became this big you know issue for front runners in the Democratic Party, once it shifted from that's not possible to I invented it. They um they they sort of started backing people like Beto O'Rourke and all these people that have or, you know more famously right now Mayor Pete has like the Medicare for all who want it thing the weird little second part and um so you know that like I gotta say I'm gonna push back a little bit I don't agree that they're I mean I you can I, I like I can't I I also don't like them but I I don't know if I would go so far as to say that they are more dangerous than <laughs> fascists well I mean so like, I, I think I don't I don't want to see a, le- a leftist progressive movement turned into a neoliberal movement either I just don't like they have they absolutely have a big audience I I don't you know I don't listen so I don't know but um well I mean I definitely meant that as a provocative statement like they're two different things would be like more insidious right like it's something that what they can do is oh sorry they could cause a uh, like a lot more complacency or they can justify complacency or taking middle of the road um measures as opposed to what some might see as more extremist leftist measures mm-hmm. um but obviously I, I agree with you that like they're not putting into <laughs> well, yeah, fascist I mean, policies I, I said that i meant that as a provocative statement yeah. because obviously they're not as bad as outright fascists yeah. but it's in a way it's something that it's a problem because because it's not as bad mm-hmm. it's not something anything, anyone focuses on and it's a thing that frustrates me the most because you have the most power to like edit within your own side of politics and um, I don't know. I mean, I come from Texas where you're surrounded by Republicans all the time and I've done my fair share of screaming at Republicans and 
I don't know if that's really going to do anything. Um, I don't think, I think that, Oh yeah, I've said that a, a thousand times before in this podcast that I think that the the time for trying to convince Republicans is long over. Something that like that occurred to me when AOC won her race, which is that she, you know, people asked her how did you do it, and she said I didn't go around trying to win moderate voters. I looked at the mm-hmm. half of the population that doesn't vote and appealed to them. And it's a pretty easy appeal because most people, if you go knock on their door and you mention politics at all they'll give you two middle fingers in the air and go, Mm -hmm. this whole thing is crooks. And I think that we sort of shoot ourselves in the foot looking at just the pool of voters who are active in politics and then assume that the dynamics of this whole argument have to, um, have to exist within that. And I, the reason it's obvious to me, I guess, or at least it, it seems more obvious or it seems more true to me is just that, I mean, in Texas people are, further left than Democrat or, you know, have politics that are way outside of the bounds of what a, what is a Democrat or a liberal or conservative or whatever. They just know that the system is rigged and that they're fucked. And so there's this nihilism down there that kind of speaks to me. And I think that for that reason, the at least the comedic voice of making fun of liberals is something that's like kind of relieving to a lot of people who were not conservative, but also were like, I don't, don't put me in this box either, you know? And I think that's where like a lot of this dirtbag left stuff came from, or at least the idea was, or at least that was the project was to appeal to people that are like, you know, this neither side of this thing offers me anything. And also like, you know, I'm just a human with an individual point of view. It's a very particular tone that like the dirtbag left or I guess to use the colloquial term, it's like it was a very it's like a very heavy irony, adversarial, antagonistic tone that is, in my view, was like pretty inherently masculine. And sure, um, because like the most popular leftist podcast that kind of cropped up around, um, you know, a few years ago were either majority male or all male. Um, and that seems to, like it seemed it always seemed to me that and I know that that it's something that bothers that bothers you in particular Jake is that there's um, that there seems to be this like new crop of people who are like really into socialism who you didn't see a few years ago um, or saw like kind of decrying it a few years ago but are more into it now well I mean it's a kind of a paradox because it's like that was the whole point but if you just redefine socialism as liberalism but call it socialism and then it there's an argument that can be made that it defeats the entire point of the thing. But I don't I don't think that that's I don't think that that's it. I think it's I think it's with the advent of people like the squad, like AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, people I think I think the conversation on the left, the far left was dominated by a very male antagonistic voice that honestly like to me always seemed like it was rooting for women to fail like it like it really delighted in seeing women fail even if the women were like not people that I want to defend anyways and I think that that for me was always something that that like point blank prevented me from like hearing the good news about socialism for a while because I felt like the messengers were like really delighted in seeing women fail. I don't disagree with you at all. And I'm, that's why I'm really glad you guys made this show (laughs) because there, you know, there was insufficient, there was this, you know, this thing that happened where a few podcasts came out and then it offered something for someone. But then after a while you looked at it and you went, this can't just be this. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, especially I, with the I agree what you're saying, and it's good to have. I think reply guys. I from the beginning, I was like, yay. Um, but one of the things that you're pointing at, or that I see now, is like maybe um, a cause, or yeah, or an effect of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. As we now transition to there being more female voices or non-male voices in socialism or leftism, um, what I'm seeing now is kind of a like a vacuum where some of the women, I'm going to specifically say women, who um, started to identify with more socialist or more leftist ideals and started to like the squad and things like that, mm-hmm. now have expressed this like surprise when they feel like some of the um, female leftist voices have supported men instead of women in mm-hmm. certain scenarios. And so there is this vacuum that happened or like a space in between their switchover where they don't realize that they are still putting one particular identity ahead of another. Sure. And not acknowledging that that the fact that the reason that the squad is successful or has people, let's say, behind them is not one aspect of their identity. It's the intersectionality of it. And so when they're like turning when they're being like, why, why did, why would she endorse Bernie? Or like, why wouldn't she endorse a person of color? Or why wouldn't she endorse whatever? Um, they're failing to see that they're still thinking in an outdated mode, even as they like performatively support socialist causes. Yeah. And on my, and, and this so often happens like on my, on my particular feed, I, I have only seen people being like, I can't believe that people are shocked that AOC, like I haven't actually seen any of the reactions of people being mad that AOC endorsed. Oh, I definitely have. Can I, can I I pull up a couple? Totally. Absolutely. Um, I I think that my, my feed is just uh, very, I I think that I, well, if you want to find the worst example of a toxic Bernie bro, you can Google it and you can find it. Yeah. And if you want to find the worst example of this person, you can Google it and you find the it. The K-Hive. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, no, and I think to, uh, to what you're saying, Jake, it's like there have always been female socialists. Their voices just weren't as loud, right? Yeah. And so right. it's this thing of like everybody who wants to talk about like Bernie bros being so horrible you're only talking about the loudest voices in all of these movements who but that's so tough though because it's like when you're when you're when the loudest voices are ones that are get heard yeah Yeah. you know when you know we went to the bernie rally and it was honestly the most diverse event i've ever attended in my life i mean it was really that's why it's it was it was kind of it was kind of beautiful i mean it was definitely like white lady from the suburbs becomes inspired by (laughs) diversity and talks about how it's beautiful on her podcast but it was also beautiful look at all the faces my mom my immigrant mother who's English is like her third language. It's like texting, like, are you going to go to the Bernie rally? I would, I would like to go if you're going to go. And I'm like, no. Did you bring her? No, I didn't go. I had, oh. I had things to do. We discussed oh, important yes, okay. things. Not, not important things at all. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, this, I don't know if this is changing the subject too much, but um, if you guys know, was she on the podcast? I don't remember. Melissa um, Lozada Oliva? Yeah, yeah. She was on the pod, yeah, right? she was. Yeah, so um, she had a tweet that I really liked um, that wasn't directly about AOC or any of this, but it's gotten me thinking a lot about uh, the positionality of Latinos in particular mm-hmm. during this conversation because if you think about it also you know I know the squad is multiple women but I do feel like um, AOC is the most prominent absolutely. one right I mean, absolutely. and partially that's because she's the youngest and, she's, and she has the most Twitter followers which is all we care about right and she's the most <laughs> masterful at, at social media and she's best um, fighter she can dance yeah but there is this thing Softest hair. she has wonderful <laughs> hair <laughs> she does a nice li- red name. lipstick do you remember when they had like 
headlines about the kind of lipstick yeah, she got. Yeah, kept selling out. It's so ridiculous, but I love capital. I have them it on was my profoundly wall. stupid. I do like that red, though. But anyway, um, there is something that I think we should all be thinking about, and maybe it's just Latinos should be thinking about. I don't know. But um, there is something about this idea of how Latinos are such a broad base mm. of people who are different races and different um, levels of, of Americanness, let's say, right? Like, depending how many generations you're um, separated from being American or being from your home country or whatever you want to call it. Um, and we have different politics, right? Like Latinos very, very much. Like for the most part, we're not conservatives unless you start talking about Cubans in South Florida. And then there's like certain sections of like, if you're rich, you're going to be conservative, right? Um, but there is this thing of how, for the most part, the a large swath of us, we pass, right? And in most situations, we pass as white or we pass as whatever class we're surrounded by. Mm -hmm. And so I think AOC has this additional layer of being somebody that almost anyone in this country can look at and identify with in, mm -hmm. some in some level, whether it's like the age, the politics, the fact that she's a woman, the fact that she's Latino, the fact that she's not white, or that she is, she's not white and I'm attracted to that. <laughs> like there's so many things, right? And, but there's this question of how people read that, right? Versus how you perform that. Yeah. And Melissa, I brought up her tweet. She tweeted something about how she thought that at this moment, um, there's a lot of white people who are having difficulty acknowledging their privilege because if they're not rich or if they didn't come from like a perfect privileged background, the way we understand that to be, they can't see where they did have privilege, right? Sure. And she said in this tweet, in a much shorter way, obviously, um, that she thinks that the white people's inability to recognize their privilege is being played out in Latinos having to work out our problematic stances and points of views and so like for example you know we've had gina rodriguez saying the n-word multiple times <laughs> and then freaking jennifer lopez came out and defended her and was like oh that's fine you know that's something i do all the time i say that <laughs> you know like whatever and it's this thing where they um simultaneously identify with black culture so much that they think it's okay to say it but not enough to understand where the oppression lies in totally. saying that word and so there's like this duality of you can switch, you know, you can code switch in this Latino way. And so people are reading AOC the way they want to read her and they want to expect her to vote the way that they expect a woman would or a Latina would or a Puerto Rican would or a New Yorker would or, you know, however they've chosen to define this. And she is very much operating from her intersection, you know, right. like she's accounting for every facet of her identity and I think it's something that we're all having to do in some way, regardless of what your background is, which is not that easy to do. Mm -hmm. And we're going to find that it doesn't please everyone because we don't fit into the box that they wanted to put us in. Does she could sense? be she could be anyone. And it's inspiring. Like I the Spider-Man. I found the tweet th that I was looking for. Um, it was uh, by, from Jane Eisner, the director of academic affairs at the Graduate School of journalism at columbia uh she said i find it fascinating that women of color overlook female oh, and minority candidates to endorse a white guy um and you know i saw i think this was probably the most viral of those tweets but i saw a bunch of kind of similar tweets on twitter and yeah i mean it's it's funny because i think people have like really latched on to AOC in some ways, like a lot of liberals have and um, like, Oh, you know, she's like Bernie, but she's, she's a woman and she's got, it's sort of the same thing that people have done with Elizabeth Warren 
in some ways. And, you know, it's kind of gross to not to, to not really engage with what it is she believes, you know, like, you to know, not let her be herself and to make not let her, her be, be herself. this guy yeah. instead. I was reading in, in, um, Ryan Grimm's book, he has a really good chapter on her and he was talking about how at this cafe that she was working at, um, just, I think, you know, maybe a year or two before her congressional race, um, the, the manager of that cafe, um, made all the uh, female employees uh, line up to be ranked by attractiveness, yeah. and um, <laughs> then she quit. It's important for the yeah. cafe. Yeah, Just no, do it. Yeah, it will, and then the, their sections would be assigned in order um, of My their goodness. attractiveness, and then she quit on the spot. But then for... she needed money, so a, a couple weeks later, she had to ask mm-hmm. for the job back. And it's like she mentioned that in her speech yesterday. Yeah. She said she said like a year ago I was a waitress being sexually harassed at my job. Yeah. I mean and it's <laughs> like I, I think figured these, out where that cafe is yet. Yeah. yeah, these people are, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, like we love AOC, but they're not they're not actually engaging with her beliefs or like the like her lived experience that has led her to really becoming um you know, probably one of the strongest advocates in the country for democratic socialism. And it's also, um, it's also, I think frustrating. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's frustrating to me because I, to speak to Louise's point about her intersectionality and her sort of representing all these different things to all these different people. I mean, it, for some reason, everyone has the damn fork in this person. And then when she makes an endorsement or does anything, people go, see, 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 she's doing what I want. And see, she mm-hmm. represents me. And, I mean, we can talk, you know, obviously about toxic masculinity and sexism and all this stuff, but there's also a race issue here, which is it's really frustrating that for some reason white people claim an ownership over her in their minds for some reason. And it's also it's frustrating also because she's not entirely ambiguous. She has, you know, pretty clearly stated politics, although she did muddle them a little bit after she got elected. Something about her that really frustrates me is that she had a rose emoji in her Twitter bio until she won. And then sort of, I know it's like, that's an annoying thing on the internet that no one does anymore, but she's sort of... It was there. I mean, she identified more as openly as like a DSA member and and a, a socialist. And now she, when she got elected, she sort of decided, I think, to maybe start spoon-feeding socialism to people through yeah. the media a little bit and going on and talking about basic stuff about how, you know, we own the means of production and yada, yada, yada. Um, but isn't that ultimately what we want? Like, this is, is, this yeah. is this is my, my issue with it because it's like, are we... I think it's actually a good thing that so many people in some way identify with her because they she has an enormous audience. She kind of uniquely has been able to shift the Overton window on a lot of things. Um, and I think the fact that so many people are listening to her means that she's making socialism more palatable to people that who I think, ordinarily no, you're wouldn't right. be. I think you're both right. So I think what it actually would be, or the way that I would frame it, is that I think um, AOC is um, she is a window into seeing a particular social phenomenon that's happening right now, which I think it's is the misunderstanding of identity politics on both mm-hmm. sides, right? Because on the more conservative side, the misunderstanding is identity politics. It literally equals if I'm a woman, I'm going to vote for a woman. If I'm a black person, I'm going to vote for a black person because we just want to take power within our own people, right? And then on the more liberal side, the misunderstanding of identity politics is 
not that different from what they're being accused of, but in this way where they say, but, but because these people are like me, they do have my political views and they do have my um, better, best interests at heart, right? So they, it's like a more nuanced version of the conservative one, right? But in reality, what identity, identity politics is or should be is a counter format or system to what was previously termed broad-based politics, right? Because broad-based politics really just means white politics, right? For white people, by white people. And it doesn't mean that it's <laughs> the like... Worst yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the worst boo-boo. Yeah, exactly. The worst boo And it doesn't even mean that because as we know, like, you know, there's so many classes of white people, so it doesn't ever. even serve all of them. But it is... Just um, eyes on polos. <laughs> they only sell visors. Yeah, exactly. So what it should be is um, what AOC is doing with it, which yeah. is to identify what your intersection or what the majority of Americans' intersection is in which the government could serve the needs of the majority of people. And so um, if more people, I guess, interrogated what they th think they mean by identity politics or by what they, what they think they mean by being represented in government, then they would see it's more about ideals and about like what the person looks like or, yeah. you know, this kind of thing, which is why an AOC type person would endorse a Bernie and not a totally. woman. Or I a, just, I, yeah. I can't believe anyone was surprised I by know. it. I just like, I'm like, yeah, she ran as a democratic socialist and he is a, it, like, she said multiple yeah. times that he is who he is the person who inspired her to run. I, she worked for him. I know. It's like, it's, it's just like it, this. I mean, the endorsement from what I've read, the endorsement came like a good three months before ahead of schedule. Uh, she had not planned. I don't think any of them had planned to endorse. Well, you know why I guess like that alarms me so much and makes me go like, why would people not see this is because it, to me, the, ex the answer to that is like this cable news brain shit that everyone has where, you know, how could you possibly, who could have given you a narrative that would lead you to believe anything else? Yeah, maybe. And why is it out there, you know? Yeah. I personally only vote for white women who, with strained relationships with their dads. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that's my identity politics. I mean, AOC was definitely the person that like... When when she won, I, I joined DSA when she won. I was really inspired by her candidacy. And I think, I mean, I definitely think that her identity was part of that because, you know, I think in 2016, um, I, yeah, it's not like I thought that like all Bernie supporters were sexist or, or anything, but I, I felt like probably, probably because I was spending too much time on the internet, I really felt like um, the... Another loudest I, voices. Yeah, thing, I felt you know? like like I felt like part of democratic socialism was being dismissive of things like race and gender, and that it was kind of like, you know, I don't I don't see it this way anymore at all. But I I felt like Bernie um, and his whole campaign was kind of like very centric on white guys, you know, and it, I feel like in some ways that was my own misunderstanding of it. But I also feel like in some ways, like there's been a really beautiful movement building since 2016 that is like coming to, to understand these things better. Mm -hmm. in general. I don't think it's a coincidence that that perception has shifted since AOC, because as much as I love Bernie, his move is that he's a broken record. And sometimes as a younger person with a different point of view, I look at him and I'm like, this is great. And this is like a good tactic to go around the country and just say the same damn thing over and over and over again to get the word out. But 
people are going to ask you, how does this translate to justice for women and people of color and all this stuff? And I can explain it and I'm not a damn politician. So why can't you explain it? But AOC kind of represents just the fact of her existence answers some of those questions. And she's like a better speaker, arguably. Um, you know, going back to like Bernie Bros and the loudest voice thing, um, I do think Alex is right about it being partially like a manufactured by the media thing, right? But also, um, I'm gonna sell out the women here a little bit and let's talk about internalized misogyny uh, because I do think part of what has contributed to this conversation of Bernie Bros is women, prominent women who um, they like equate women who support. Bernie as being like guys, girls who sell out on women, right? Uh, like when Gloria Steinem said that shit, I was like, um, so there is this thing, you know, where they, women want to, some women, especially I think of an older generation, they are contributing to the idea that women wouldn't be on the side of some of these policies mm-hmm. or they wouldn't be on the side of men who behave this way on the internet when it's like, no, we are smart enough to be, to understand the politi- policies totally. we're voting for. I think it's, I, I think it's kind of, it's a two pronged issue because I think that is absolutely correct. And I think the idea that women should blindly support other women is something that we on this podcast wholly reject um and that's a nonsense it's just like a nonsense thing um but i also think that there there is and i really boy do i not want to relitigate what happened in 2016 or like endlessly talk about the 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 2016 discourse um but yet you will forever i know um but i i do think that it's also like sometimes i see I see critics of that just being like kind of positioning themselves as like an unbiased third party, just calling balls and strikes here as if their opinions exist in a vacuum and not within like an inherently patriarchal society. Um, So I, I think it's, I think it's like, I think it's, it, there, there are multiple sides to this, this issue and everyone's wrong. And the only person who's right is me. Yeah. I'm I'm agreeing (laughs) with you again. No, I'm agreeing agreeing with you. And that's why I said the thing about, I think it's a generational thing too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think also, um, so to like make it personal, uh, one of the first times I ever felt like old in my life was recently. I think I want to say it's like probably around 2016. I want to feel old. Uh, I only speak in memes. (laughs) First time was, I felt like I was a Spider-Man and pointing at myself and it was an age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I became a meme. No, it was um, when women started making jokes within, you know, in comedy, um, the premise of being a guy's girl became like a common trope to joke about. And it was because I started noticing that there were comics who identify as feminists who were making jokes about older women who were, they were framing it as we're part of the problem because we propped up patriarchy by being in these male spaces and ma- being successful in them. We must have somehow compromised ourselves and played a game, played along with the game too much, things like that. And it's something I saw even from a male feminist one time who wrote an article, whatever, we won't say. But this uh, sentiment of a younger generation of women maybe even just jokingly, but discussing the idea that somehow the generation of women right before them sold them out by not fighting enough the status quo, by not changing things enough. And so I think what we're seeing with some of the older women now is like a rejection of that, you know, of them being like the 
bitter because there the younger women would not have a platform if it wasn't for all the women yeah. who did like put up with getting their ass grabbed and having a comment made about their titties and whatever. Um, but they're they're now like kind of pulling the ladder up behind them, I guess, is what they're yeah. trying to do, where they're trying to be like, well, we feel like you're ungrateful or like you don't understand. I, it's I'm having trouble kind of formulating it because it kind of goes well, that's, back that's truly like every female politician that we, yeah. we've had over a certain age like yeah. you know obviously we we've we've criticized nancy pelosi a lot on on this mm-hmm. podcast but like when she started there were no women's bathrooms in the house yeah. like uh. like i mean it's it's true like unfortunately a lot of times i don't know i don't know if i even want to say that they had to play the game but there were certain there were just different they had to make rules. compromises yeah. sometimes for sure and so i think you know the um the lack of generosity is going in both directions mm-hmm. in, in the way we're seeing each other i think and i'm saying this as someone who i identify as being between these two generations and like looking both ways like i kind of agree with both of you what are you doing um but the older ones yeah it is this thing of um like for Gloria Steinem to say that you know to it, Madeline Albright yeah Madeline Albright also <laughs> so it's this thing also that connects to um kind of like a old-timey white feminism yeah <laughs> in, absolutely in which they like they really believed in incremental change in the sense of like everybody has to take their turn right and right now we are fighting for women to have x right so that means you know uh for the history of feminism at some point they silenced trans women and they silenced lesbians, lesbians and they silenced yeah. black women because they were like no we're focusing on women as we define it which meant as white women you know and so i think these older feminists still have that mechanism in their head where they're like um i understand you might want to fight for these socialist ideals but you should be doing it through empowering other women because yeah. that's our main goal and you know <laughs> you and know? you know what's so fucked up is that like for so long and actually gia tolentino wrote mm-hmm. one of her essays um about this um about i think it's called always be optimizing and it's kind of it's about how women have like navigated uh uh a patriarchal society and basically it's like the earlier waves of feminism a lot of them were basically just telling women to succeed on men's terms like mm-hmm. within a capitalist society and that's why so much of like the earlier waves of feminism are like you know your Sheryl Sandbergs yeah. it's like get yours <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know it's exactly. not it's not lifting up every it's just like you you will do feminism by becoming rich and it's crazy that it's um short-sighted that they don't see that the um socialism should have been their ultimate goal absolutely yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, that's where feminism should have been leading yeah. but maybe that's because that's my politics um i feel like this comment could come off all kinds of bad ways but Whoa. wouldn't it be nice if you could convince yourself you were doing something really progressive just by getting rich um might I recommend uh, the Protestant ethic and what is it? No, the Protestant ethic and the something of capitalism. No, uh, the prosperity remember. gospel. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. Uh, but Max Weber has a really great book about how uh, it's basically it's pervasive to the entire American culture, but it's about how um, American culture was developed around the idea of uh, Protestants who were the first Christian religion to connect the idea of earthly labor with pleasing god good works yeah yeah. because Mm. before that catholicism and all the others were about buying your way into heaven right so like the earth doesn't matter you just need to make sure you make it into heaven and that's why it's okay if you treat the earth like crap and you're mean to each other and whatever because you just have to get into heaven protestants came around and were like 
the way that you please God is through works on earth. And riches are a way by which you measure your works on earth. So the more riches that you have, the better person you are. Right. So really my problem at Clearly. the base is just being raised Catholic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. never mind. Um, I, I stand my unproblematic fave, the Catholic Church. Um, <laughs> no, the so the end point of that that Louisa was referring to is the prosperity gospel, which is something that is openly preached, particularly in evangelical churches all around the um, the country which is basically like god wants you to be rich um and it is your it is like god's will for you to be rich but if you're not rich that's also god's will <laughs> and like like it's it's really it's just really fucked up it's it's just like obviously it's not biblical at all but um you know i'm famously a quaker so right, uh <laughs> god's plan i talk i've talked about Bible. this before but i i feel like I am a socialist because it yeah. is be, because I'm not going to be an evangelical Christian anymore and I still want to help my neighbor. Uh, yeah. it's, it's very, I don't, I'm not saying that like, I think that politics should be religious, but I do feel like the fact that I had that like drilled into me for so many years, like, you know, the main purpose of life is to help the poor. Yeah. Uh, that's great. I actually, so it's funny because mine is academic, but it ends up at the same point as yours, Kate, because my reason for being socialist is um, the original human covenant is the only reason that we are the apex predators on this planet, right? So the original human covenant was the fact that we got together to work as a group, right? So like it, as individuals, we were the weakest, least hairy ape <laughs> that was going to die as quickly as possible until we got together and formed language and formed social networks and helped each other and our weakest was part of our team and you know like we're only as strong as we are together and that's how we got to like industrialization and then all of a sudden we started developing all these theories that were about the what is it the what is, what does everybody call it the survival of the fittest there we go and this kind of idea of we have to only work for ourselves and the strongest will survive is extremely new in the history of humanity but somehow especially in america we understand it to be some kind of natural form of existing but the idea of helping one another is actually probably the oldest idea that humans yeah. ever had and so for us to make it all the way to being the most powerful and now turn around on each other and be like, no, that's not my problem to help you is insane to me. Yeah, because I, I was also raised Catholic, but my church was pretty big on yeah. service um, and like volunteering and stuff like that. And that was always that was like a pretty foundational thing for me that um, this is another thing that Gia Tolentino talks about in her book was that like growing up in her church gave her she thinks like gave her a framework for her current leftist politics. That's really interesting. Uh, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but how much do you think of your like general worldview that you've come to is completely based on where you started with having a worldview crammed into your head via religion? Because think- it sounds like we're coming from different places a little bit. I came from the South where churches fucking mega churchy and evil or small tiny churchy and culty and immediately it was like this is horrible these people hate gay people and hate women and hate everyone and are racist and mm-hmm. i am now a person who thinks that everyone is a crook and i don't trust <laughs> anyone so maybe we have less power over this shit than we think I think that's kind of like part of the reason that I maybe see like the kind of antagonism towards liberals a little 
differently is because I don't think that everybody is a crook. I have, and, and it also could be the people that I surround myself with, but I feel like there's a lot of people in this world, uh, especially maybe in the past, I don't know, like five, six years since the like general idea of uh, becoming woke kind of came into the culture. Like, I feel like there are many, many people who are like, I just want to be good. I want to do the right thing. I don't know. It seems like the right thing at this point is to support women. And I think there's a lot of people who just kind of haven't interrogated their values that much. So I think that that's why it makes sense to I don't know, to kind of talk to people in a way that isn't maybe so antagonistic because I really think that there's a lot of people who are very reachable that just want to do whatever yeah. they think is the the nicest way to be in the world. Well, I mean, to that extent, like something that I get from what stand-up comedy is and having to travel around and like connect with literally anyone and, you know, if there's a fucking cop in the audience, you got to figure out how to deal with that or whatever. I am kind of a humanist and I do see you know liberals as people but i also see conservatives as people and also pretty horrible people as having been at least human at one point and so because because humanism kind of asks you to look at everyone and measure you know how they got there and uh whether this person's intentions are bad or good for me it comes full circle and it doesn't make sense to me to really uh, treat liberals and conservatives that differently. And I think that we're on the liberal side of things stuck in a framework now where we're like, well, these Trump people are inhuman and they're fucking, they deserve to be, you know, the target of anger or the target of mean jokes, but not liberals. And to me, that is inconsistent because there also is someone who is not raised necessarily within the framework of the liberal side of things any more than I was the conservative side of things. To me, it's always seemed very obvious that there's just, you know, there's just two types of racism. There's the overt and the covert. And those two things have picked different sides of that. And I don't see one as getting off the hook. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm tempted to agree with you in some ways. Like, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine um, who I like a lot, but um, he was uh, he was a full full stand for Nan- Nancy Pelosi, and one of the things that he <laughs> Nan fan, um, yeah, a Nan fan. Um, but one of the things that he likes about her, Nancy Pelosi, um, is that <laughs> you know he he values. Um, kind of calmness and order to a high degree. Uh, And he thinks that Nancy Pelosi and, you know, many kind of prominent Democratic politicians are good at kind of, I don't know, just, uh, yeah, just keeping things calm. And and actually he doesn't, he he doesn't want them to kind of like push for more left stuff. And I, I think that one thing that liberals lose sight of is like how how immoral the status quo is, you know, and, <laughs> and that like it's just it is it's the difference between like conservatives being like, yeah, we should put the kids in cages to like liberals being like, oh, you know, we need to leave these kids in cages because that is the pragmatic thing to do at this time. And right. it, it's, it is still evil. We already made the cage. Yeah. Well, we're just going to not use it now. Well, I, I just don't. Okay, I'm. I, I just don't see what the point. Like, tactically, if if we want socialism to win, I don't see what the point of treating liberals and conservatives, painting them with the same brushes, because 
it to me just says that you want to keep socialism as this like exclusive moral club of like just you saying like I'm right. I listen, I totally agree with that because that is a fucking thing among fringe radical politics that bothers the shit out of me given you're trying to build a populist movement. I meet anarchists and shit all the time that are like no one gets to be in this club. It's like that's just about being cool, right? But at the same time, I mean, have you ever heard that MLK quote about the Negro's greatest stumbling block is like the white moderate, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a real problem to that and then it's the problem is that it's not seen as a problem, so nothing ever gets done about it. I think, I mean, I just think that the, I think that that was true to a certain, that could have been true um, certainly a a number, a few years ago, but I think that like, I know people, and you know, this is just anecdotal, but I know people in my personal life who were like down the middle centrists who are now like outspoke, like who I, there's one, one in particular who I like literally got into an argument with him about the estate tax. Which is the dumbest? It's like he was just like want to feel old. Yeah, (laughs) but now he's like fully, like he's like fully stepped like pretty far left for him. And I just think that like you have to. I I think we can't be. I like if if I had just treat if I had just been like you're the same as a Republican. There's no reason to talk to you. I just don't think like, I don't think it's, well, see that's, but that's not what I said. You're not saying don't talk to them, right? You're I'm saying, saying you should talk to the Republican. You should say mock them. <laughs> you're just saying mock them when you well, talk to them. That's the other thing so is, I think that's the difference. So, okay. You're saying mock them and you're saying talk to them respectfully. Well, actually, the thing is, actually, actually, that's a really good point because <laughs> okay. those are two different things. Right. And, no, but I think know, that a Republican in 2019 is a very different person than a like run-of-the-mill liberal in 2019. Yeah, right? but there's a spectrum of people that are like, not to fucking act like a third-way neoliberal yeah. about this, but there's a spectrum of people who vote Republican. Some of those are hardcore people yeah. that are into it, and some people are just, I, you know, some people are just money. Right, but I, I also think you weren't saying that you would say the same things to these people, but that you would approach them with the same attitude or tone. Or Yeah. Yeah, I'm just not like irony-poisoned enough, I don't think, to... Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing that we were talking about at the Bernie rally is that Julia, like Julia is the most online person that I've ever met who is not yet iron. And I have, I am so pure. Yeah. Uh, like you went into Christian online with one of those metal diving suits. Yeah. And I, um, I, I have become a little more irony poisoned over the past probably six months. Uh, but I don't, I, I still don't, I th- still think I'm probably a pretty, pretty earnest person and it's funny because i i see that like i've been in in dsa for almost two years now and i i i think that the, and it's not something that exists in if you go to like dsa stuff it's mm-hmm. really not something that exists there it is it is a uniquely online phenomenon that kind of like uh you know dragging liberals yeah. or whatever like like just for sport <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, just to speak to within comedy and like not as a performer, obviously. Um, before you even asked that question, I was going to say something about like, I really want to push forward the idea that all humans are little sponges, right? And we like all walk around like little sponges. I like this. And no matter how much you <laughs> like, even if you're not actively seeking things to soak up, you are soaking things up, right? And so the things you soak up, like they are through jokes. It's not just through specifically political discourse. It's through jokes. It's through like um, the way you interact with your office workers, uh, you know, everything, like everything that happens in your life. And so this to me speaks to both sides of it, which is 
the those of you performing like even if you choose jake and i have talked about this a lot even if you choose not to put explicitly political messaging in the comedy that you're making it seeps through because it is part of who you are your Mm -hmm. point of view even if you explicitly leave it out completely then that is a political stance in and of itself in that you don't feel like you need to address political realities in your art form right but then for everyone else you know what before what you were saying about like how to talk to um different people of different politics you know i really do think um because we're all different sponges both all forms of getting to the sponges matter and have mm-hmm. to exist. So that includes the mocker- mockery of certain types of sponges. It includes nice, kind, mm-hmm. open conversations. It's why, to me, like one of the things that I'm most against is when I hear people who like don't talk to their Republican parents about their views or like they go to Thanksgiving and they just pretend to be okay with the racist shit that their grandma says and they just smile and like swallow it all up and leave it. And it's like, whose responsibility do you think it is to fix that sponge? It's your fault. 100%. (laughs) This episode is titled the mockery of sponges. (laughs) So (laughs) all sponges matter. Um, No, totally. I, I, uh, you know, I have a Republican dad who I argue with truly every single day and he will be a leftist by the time he dies. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, I've already literally his friends have said skeletons. Yeah, his his friends have told me like what your father is a lot more liberal than he used to be. I'm like, yeah, thank you for recognizing my life's work. No, and and there is a thing of like people are not maybe gonna likely like go around changing labels because of a conversation they had with yeah. somebody, but they do like little ideas change in their mind, right? And they will change how they approach another person or um, this idea of social shame I think is real and has existed for as long as humans have existed it's real if we shame politicians who have shitty politics out there at restaurants it matters it makes a difference in their life this is why I think shame is a good thing and as a Catholic (laughs) I am trying to bring it back all right (laughs) we we should wrap up here Um, can you folks uh, tell our listeners where they can find you um, sure, I'm on everything at Luisa Diaz Nuts, and Why You Mad is on everything as Why You Mad Pod. Um, I'm on everything <laughs> as thank you. I'm a little sponge. I'm on <laughs> everything as at Feral Jokes. It's an anagram for my name, um, and I'm also on Why You Mad Pod with Luisa and Pod Damn America with Alex over here and our friend Anders. It's at uh, Pod at Pod Damn America. That's Andrew's it. Yeah. Lee here. Andrew Lee here. Andrew Lee here. Uh, I am at, also at Pod Damn America. If you enjoy uh, leftist conversation, but pr- wish that it was centered around Goku from Dragon Ball Z, <laughs> please listen to the Ballin' Out Super podcast. Kate's been on it. Jake's been on it. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Patak Jokes, which is mostly just nonsense over there. But uh, all my shows are on there. Check it out. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on Reply Guys. This is actually the very first time that we have ever had a Reply Guy on Reply Guys. So (laughs) we really appreciate it, Jake. Thank you, Jake. Thank you for your service, Jake. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, which is O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can also find 
our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. Walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. Your land.